Welcome to Invisible Not Broken, the Chronic Illness Podcast Network. The new Invisible Not Broken podcast features roundtable discussions and candid conversations between the hosts of all the podcasts within our network. I'm Monica from Explicitly Sick. I'm Eva from Human Care. I'm Jason from Discomfort Zone. I'm Dr. Lee from Sex and Chronic Illness. You can find all of our shows on your favorite podcast player or on InvisibleNotBroken.com. Yay. Hello, world. How are you? We're talking about ableism. Fun. (laughs) It's a great topic. You can come at it from many, many angles. I I don't know if everybody is familiar with that word. I I think I only heard it for the first time maybe three years ago after I had been ill for about four or five years. Yeah, and still hadn't heard of it. So I guess I can just start introducing it. It is ableism is the discrimination against people with disabilities based on the belief that we are inferior to non-disabled people. Mm. That word inferior. Yeah. Gets me furious. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I guess I can just start. What forms of ableism have you encountered on your chronic illness journey? And I guess we we can start with externalized ableism. Monica, you want to take off here? (laughs) Uh, Sure. It's like ableism is like, a hard one for me because I'm such like into people pleasing and not not taking up space or like making people go other way so like needing mobility aids became a really big thing in my world and it I I'm like hyper annoyingly aware of what other people are thinking even if they're not thinking that <laughs> so like one of the big things was starting to use a cane and like how much people would get an attitude about it. Or when I parked in a disability parking space and we we encountered some very interesting people with that kind of thing where, yeah, just the idea that I had a, a placard was not enough for some people to to let that go i'm sorry i'm 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 probably going to be off topic for a second so why don't you have someone else talk for a minute so okay so for me externally i mean the first thing that comes to mind when i think about people i don't know so let's just say out out in the world is i'm i'm from new york city i spent like the last decade in new york city and the subway can be a very unpleasant place especially during covid (laughs) but you know, it's really crowded and it's very shaky. And I have a connective tissue disorder where my joints hurt in general. And if things are shaky and people are pushing me, I mean, like it can be really bad, especially if I'm in a fair, in a flare. So I, I try and get a seat as soon as humanly possible. And, or I will have a seat and not want to give it up. And I definitely get the looks Like now, look, if I think there is someone, you know, who is, I don't know, pregnant or, or elderly or very clearly, and this is like where ableism comes from my perspective as well. Right. It's like, if I think there is someone or someone who asks me that if they can have my seat, I will absolutely give it up. But I, and maybe this is me just being self-conscious, but I feel like a lot of the time on the subway when I want to sit because I'm in pain and there are, I don't know, people in their fifties or sixties, maybe who seem fine, but it's like, maybe I should give it up. I'm like, you don't know who I am and what I'm experiencing. And unless you ask, I like, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I'm just going to naturally give it up to someone. And I don't feel like while the whole thing is silent and have something, having someone look at me mean that I have to say, by the way, I'm like pseudo disabled or I'm or not disabled. Like I'm in pain. I, it would be kind of ridiculous for me to say that. And again, I'm probably very much in my head. I don't know if anyone's actually judging me, but I think about that all the time on the subway, all the time. And then the opposite is when I'm standing and I'm in pain and it's a crowded train and there is, I don't know, a teenager or someone that again, I'm assuming is fine, quote unquote, fine. I've never done this, but I've thought so many times about asking someone if I could sit. 
I yeah. think I've, so many times I've actually, by the way, thought about saying I'm pregnant instead. Cause I thought that would be easier <laughs> than being like, Oh, I'm in chronic pain. Let me sit. <laughs> this is where like anxiety disorders and ableism meet in a really awful way. <laughs> It's just playing in my head. It's just, it's also kind of ludicrous. I don't know. The whole thing makes me annoyed, right? It makes me annoyed because I'm making, I'm first of all, making assumptions about other people. I'm wondering if other people are making assumptions about me. And then it's like, well, what actions do I take or not take here? So yeah, there's my yeah. rant on the New York City subway. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I can relate to that subway dial, like inner di- dialogue that's going on in your head. And what I will do as well, if I'm going to an appointment downtown Toronto and I'm subwaying back, I'll just, I, I won't think to even sit down or ask somebody for their seat until I'm in quite a bit of pain. And by the time I'm in pain, that's when my anxiety is really, really kicking in. And then I'm like, oh shit, like if I ask somebody and they say, why, like you look fine, like at that point, that would really trigger an anxiety attack or like having to, having to go through that experience and explain it to somebody. I feel like that would be yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a difficult thing to communicate because you you don't know how you're going to be received either. You, it could be somebody who's completely compassionate and understanding, but you could also have somebody who's a non-believer who doesn't believe you at all. Yeah, I actually something I was talking to my husband about like a few hours ago is how how he could talk to other people about me. I asked him like, what do you say to, I don't even know what scenario, but what do you tell friends or even random people when you talk about me and my conditions? Cause I feel like it, it comes up, it must come up here and there and, and it does. He's not really good at remembering specific dialogue so he couldn't tell me what he says. <laughs> so he's just not good at that. And so I encouraged him when it comes up to just think about whatever conveys the message that well, you're looking to convey. So for Ehlers-Danlos is going to go over most people's heads, even a lot of doctors' heads, even like connective tissue disorder will go over a lot of people's heads. Fibromyalgia totally depends on your, your audience. So I said to him, well, think about what is it that will, will resonate with them and gets the message across, like my wife needs help with something, like she can't do something that the rest of us are going to do, or she's going to be slower, whatever, whatever it is. And so, for instance, I said a really common one, in my opinion, and Monica, I'd love to know what you think of this, is just saying, like, my wife has a joint condition and is in a lot of pain. And I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. No one's going to be like, she has a condition, her joints hurt. Oh, okay, like, we'll do whatever it is or not do whatever it is that makes the most sense. So, like, I think another part of that is translating for other people so that they understand Mm -hmm. what's important about it right it's like I'm in pain that's all you really need to know or I'm not able to do this thing that you think I'm able to do yeah anyway so I've just always described it as like people's ligaments generally act as gorilla glue and mine act as use post-it notes so it, it's like it's a super visceral reaction and I mean I, lucky is a weird word but I have these very you know visual dislocations so it makes it really easy once you can be like yeah my, my wife dislocates all the time and you know like her rib just dislocated that's what happened or I also do use mobility aids anytime I'm out in the world I find it short circuits a lot of issues like I had gone to a place before COVID and we parked in a disabled spot. And this woman came up to me in an absolute rage. Like she was seriously pissed and she couldn't even get words out. She was just like pointing at me, shaking at me. My child was just coming around the, the corner of the car to give me my canes. And I put my hands in my canes and I'm like, are we good now? And she huffed off. So it's like the, like the mobility aids just instantly gives people this, like, oh, this person's not okay, which then means that they'll be more careful around me. Like it doesn't take a lot for me to dislocate. So if someone's dog is off leash and jumps on me, that's it for three months. If someone's toddler is running around and smacks into my legs, that's it for months. If I have my canes or my wheelchair, it's this personal space bubble. 
And it's also a visual reminder to people that even if I look not sick, I really am. So it, you know, as much as it like is my own internal ableism about having my, my mobility aids, it's this visual reminder to everyone. Yeah. And, but there's like, as you've said, there's a lot of issues that come with that as well. Right. I, I mean, it took me so much, and it was all internal, like no one cared. And that's like one of the great things about getting into middle age is realizing that no one's actually paying attention. And all these things that I spent decades in anxiety about, no one actually noticed. So I spent like five years not using canes when I should have. And then I spent a lot more time hiding that I used a cane as I was worried it would affect my work. I was afraid that people wouldn't want to hire me if they knew I needed a mobility aid. So it was like super like not <laughs> upfront about that. I thought that moving from a cane to a wheelchair was unthinkable. Like that was just a horror to me, like deep, desperate horror. And that actually came from when I was in a doctor's office with my father and the doctor said I wouldn't walk again after I was 30 and my dad just broke down crying and like before then I never really thought about wheelchairs as a bad thing but to my dad this idea that his child would be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life was just like unthinkable and it really like internalized to me that this was a very bad thing to have to do and I kept putting it off and um pushing through the pain because that's what you're supposed to do apparently especially in my family show no pain show no weakness you know be strong and I could have been in a lot less agony and done a lot more things if I had just embraced that I needed a wheelchair and there's a really weird thing in this medical community if no one tells you that that's an option like for years and years, it was like me who had to bring up, do I use a cane? It was me who had to say, um, this is time for a wheelchair. No one said, you know, maybe you could just use it for your own physical comfort. Like it was this idea, like even my doctors that I would have to not be able to stand or walk to use a wheelchair. And they really discouraged it. Like you're going to get weaker if you use a wheelchair. I actually got stronger because I had more energy to do other things. Like I could actually save my energy and strength for my physical therapy instead of like torturing myself by walking around. So that was, yeah, I know we're going to talk about the medical ableism, but that was even in my own head on like, oh, well, if I don't do this, this will, will go bad. Yeah. The, the ableism with mobility aids runs really deep. It's even in the language that we use, right? Like, you know, they, you talk about people will say, oh yeah, you're confined to a wheelchair or you're wheelchair bound. Oh yeah. Like that in <laughs> itself, when, when that language is out there in, in society, when you hear that growing up, you just associate that as a totally negative thing. And you don't see the freedom that, that mobility aids can, can bring to your life and the value that they can add. Well, you all remember when Stephen Hawkins died and like, well-meaning people. I mean, they didn't mean to be cruel, but they were saying things like now he's released from his physical binds. And I was like, if you knew him at all, he talked very openly about like his disability was his freedom, that he would never have been able to have that time and space to really think all the time without, without that. So yeah, you're right. Like, you know, society really like pushes this narrative. Like if you watch any movie or you see any TV show, most of the time, the wheelchair character's entire existence is trying to get out of it. And all of our inspiration born is like, look, this person like did all this stuff so that they could walk three steps to like get their diploma or something. Like, could we just have gotten a ramp for this person? Like, cheers, Miles Atoff, let's be if that's your like main goal in life, that's your thing, cheers. But like, for a lot of us, it's like, it shouldn't, it's not that big of a deal. Like my big deal with my wheelchair is that there isn't a lot of access. Like that's the only reason I'll try to walk is because it's so much trouble to use the wheelchair in this area. Not having ramps and, and sidewalks not being accessible. Is that, is that <laughs> what you mean? Yeah. I, it's, I mean, the sidewalks are definitely a big deal. I'm super privileged that I have a wheelchair that can handle a lot of the problems that with my regular wheelchair, I can't do anything in that. Like most sidewalks are graded to this. They're like graded downwards. So rain goes that way. But if you're in a wheelchair and you're using your arms, you are fighting that, that slope all the time. 
And when you have like changes from like sidewalk to, to crosswalk, you have these dips like this mm. and that's brutal. Cause then you have to get back up to the hump and you have to do that in like a certain amount of time. And if you have other stainless with shoulders, oh my God, I cannot tell you how many times I've like snapped out my shoulders or I've hit a ramp too hard and toppled out of, out of chair into sidewalk. My other favorite is we're wheelchair accessible. So they have a ramp to a door that you have to open. <laughs> so that means that you have to wheel up to door and then grab the door, wheel back just enough to open it and then throw yourself through door. It's like, <laughs> I, I have made managers do it. I have like gotten out of my chair and like leaned against a thing. I'm like, I need you to try this so you can see what this is like because they think that they've done this thing or um, like I have a doctor who's on the third floor of a building that isn't great with their elevator and the elevator didn't work. And I was just destroyed. And they were, they actually made me like, they carried me in my wheelchair down three flights, which was terrifying. Like it was really scary, but you also can't convince people of what you can and can't do once you're in a wheelchair, your autonomy goes away in a wheelchair. It's amazing to me how many people will not talk to me. They'll talk to my husband. Hmm. Their voices will go up three octaves. Like somehow I have turned into a five-year-old if I'm in my wheelchair. There's a lot of assumptions of my cognitive abilities and also whether I know what I can and can't do once I'm in my wheelchair. Like people who are, don't know me suddenly understand what I, I'm capable of. And it gets really creepy and strange. Also, people pray over you, random strangers. And you cannot convince them to stop. It is a very weird thing. Like this idea that God has smited me and they're going to intervene with God for me. Like there is absolutely a religious element for some people in ableism. Like this is either a punishment or this is something that's bad and they can help me out by talking to some, you know, being out there for me. And it is, it is, it gets very strange, especially if you have like a super religious family, things can get very weird with ableism and religion. Because of course, I'm going to bring us into a very controversial topic there. Sorry about that. Institutionalized ableism is a real thing in religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the miracles are like, you know, this person can now walk. Hallelujah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't I don't know if I have much to say on that, but I'm curious about it. Uh, Yeah, we've had quite a few experiences where I've just been out in public in my wheelchair and people will come over and just start praying over me. Hmm. Super fun. I mean, I've definitely seen instances with like serious illnesses where people will say like, I can, I can create a miracle for you in some capacity. Uh, yeah, no, this is more of a, like, I'm going to, you know, intervene with the big guy for you. Cause obviously this is a horrible thing. And <laughs> I will, uh, step in for you. Yeah. That's that, that, that's a huge overreach of, I don't know. It, it's in their minds, I guess they're well-intentioned, but it's, it's not at all. It, it's a really uncomfortable thing for you'd have to so go uncomfortable. through terrified the hell out of my toddler like yeah. <laughs> my little one was like freaking out <laughs> yeah I would have been a lot snarkier if if the small one had not been there yeah. well I gotta say what I find really fascinating about what we've spoken about so far is the how oh my gosh like tools you use like like a wheelchair or uh mobility device thank you mobility devices and how they are so freeing and and like ableism from that direction and how people make the assumption that if you have a mobility device that that is a negative thing yeah i'd love i mean if you guys are open to it i think that's a really interesting topic and just how like like with disability comes there comes different kinds of freedoms and like truly positive elements. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anything and the first you? time I used a wheelchair that I used one instead of like, just like in the hospital or like I got to use a mechanical wheelchair and it was the most amazing experience. Like you could not wipe the smile off my face. I'd been like torturing myself trying to walk around Italy with a cane and I was, and I don't like to cry in public. I, I just really try not to. And I was sitting in a museum just sobbing because I could not stand any longer. I couldn't take another step. And we had done this whole vacation. So my husband could see the Etruscan ruins. And I was like, he was like, no, no, I'll just sit here with you. I'm like, no, I want to see these two, but go take pictures. And this really nice man came up and brought me a mechanical wheelchair. I'd never been in one before. And all of a sudden I had like a rabbit and a turtle that I could like move it to. (laughs) And I went rabbit just right away. And he had to run to keep up with me, but just like experiencing this world where everything I could do, he could do and everything he could do, I could do without changing anything. Like they had, you know, how they're always complaining, like you can't change the historical things. Well, this is an Etruscan ruin. (laughs) It doesn't get much more historical. And instead of having like ramps, they had these elevators where you just wheeled your wheelchair in and it just went right up to the next level no big deal didn't change the architecture didn't change anything and it was just this world that I suddenly saw that you know it wasn't that how do I say this it it wasn't like I I was infringing on anyone's fun I wasn't changing anyone's day I wasn't like ruining things my disability was not causing discomfort it was just I'm in a wheelchair my husband's on his feet no big deal. We're having a blast together. So it's this very different feel. It really shifted something in my head that I wasn't a burden. My mobility aid is not a burden. It was actually a way that I, I wasn't feeling left out. I wasn't feeling angry or, or left behind. I was a much more fun person to be with. (laughs) And it didn't have to be like that. What was really making it like that was that the world was not okay with my, de- my mobility device. If there was access, it was, you know, it, yeah, sorry. That was a roundabout way. No, that, 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 you know, plays into the conversation of how external um, barriers can be so incredibly significant. And people look at a disability as being, like that is intrinsically bad. That is something that is in itself is the main barrier that prevents you from being able to access anything out in the world. When, yeah, when it comes to chronic illness in many ways, like, you know, I don't have the energy to go out and do everything, but, but like, as you're saying for, for yourself, when, yeah, with your mobility aid, just having that and being able to use that, like removes that external barrier in that sense. And yeah. I'm thinking about, are there equivalent, like not obvious mobility aids or what kind of works as a mobility aid in my life? I was just trying to think about that. So like, you know, I don't have canes or a wheelchair or anything, but is there something physical that I use that supports me? That would do something different. I'm like, I'm, I'm like literally thinking out loud now, but hmm. I mean, I used bracing forever, like instead of like when I was trying to avoid using a cane, I had like, I looked like I was going into battle before I would get dressed. I had like all of like my wrist bracing, my knee bracing, my ankle bracing. And then I would put like all the clothes over it. So no one would see when I was, when I was at my studio as a photographer, I'd have all these things that I would, you know, put together to like hold my skeleton up. Yeah, I guess braces in general, like I've definitely worn various things to keep my joints from flapping about. So also <laughs> that's K- the case, yeah. K- KT or is it KT tape? Yeah. 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 I think it's that- in for kinest- kinesthetic tape. I think that's okay. what it is, yeah. I, this, I don't know if this qualifies as a mobility aid, but it definitely is some sort of accessibility device but even an electric toothbrush for me like my arms I I had really really bad pain in my arms for a long time and so I ended up switching my my OT recommended that I switch to an electric toothbrush and just in that like instead of wasting all of my energy 
you know, brushing, simply brushing my teeth and having none left and the rest of the day to use my arms for anything. It was like, okay, now I can go and write a little bit. Now I can go and try and play a little bit of guitar and do something else or, or even just perform some of the other functions. So something like that, I had never even considered an electric toothbrush being an accessibility device, but in, in many ways it, it was. Yeah. We just got a um, toothpaste squeezer. Like it's, it's a thing that goes right above like and you put the toothpaste tube in and when you push your toothbrush in, it squeezes the toothpaste and that's the thing I needed <laughs> like, yeah because your fingers can like it hurts fin- your fingers right that kind of hyper- that happens to me I think it's such a funny little thing right it's like squeezing anything too hard is really bad for my finger joints <laughs> the little things it's one of those things where I'm like really really this is difficult <laughs> Or right. flossing. Oh my God. Flossing is such a flipping nightmare. Like I finally got the pre-strung floss and I got the non-plot. Like there's so much, like I try really hard to be as environmentally conscious as possible, but it's like pre-strung in between like these two little things. And that's been yeah. so helpful because I don't have to bend my fingers like around. You just, you know, and you don't have to like move your hand around a lot. It's way easier than, yeah. 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 Well, I, my, sorry. You can go ahead, Eva. Monica, I know that a topic that you've wanted to talk about for a long time, and maybe we even have a podcast on, is tech and disability for, I guess, mostly accessibility purposes. Like, I could definitely talk about that for a long time. But uh, a big one for me, big one for me, is wireless headphones. Not holding up, because I can be on phone calls for a long mm-hmm. time. I don't want to hold up a phone in my ear for five minutes. My, my elbow's like, no, I hate you. <laughs> Don't do this to me. Yeah. Um, or even just fatigue. I like, I truly hate being on the phone without it or being like, you know, my, on my table with a speaker phone. But wireless headphones were a game changer for me, even wanting to be on the phone for that. In yeah, yeah. yeah th- those have been really big for me too. Something else I, I wanted to mention because I had really bad problems with my arms uh, a little while ago. And so my dad and I actually made something. So here's something I've got on on screen, which I can show you. This is a pen. And what I ended up doing to it is I put a whole bunch of nails on every single side around the pen and then hockey taped it all together. And what it does is that now gravity is assisting me. So I don't have to push down all that hard when I'm writing like gravity does all the work now i can simply just hold the pen up to a piece of paper move it along and i don't have to press down and waste my arm energy that's the best hack i've seen wow wow you that's awesome it. yeah that's amazing. that is homemade, a made solution that is i was like i have a solution for that that i've been using for like writing in general uh but that one is way cooler way more inventive i i bought myself it's probably my favorite personal gift to myself in many many years but it's it's kind of pricey i bought the remarkable tablet which is how do you like that one fucking love it yeah (laughs) i have it right next to me i haven't had a pad of paper i i write notes constantly constantly for brain fog purposes and well i have I don't even know how many notebooks I go through notebooks like crazy. I have to physically write all the time, which is tiring and painful for lots of reasons, but similar to your pen invention. I mean, it's a screen, so I don't have to write like, look, I can be super light and it writes. But the other great thing about it is I can convert it to text. Like if, if I write clearly enough, it can convert to text. I don't need to type anything up again, or I can just save as PDFs. And so I have them on, you know, tech could be endless file space. So I absolutely consider this to be an accessibility device for me. It's been a game changer and anyone else who I guess also doesn't like writing, uh, (laughs) we're like physically putting pressure on writing. It's been very helpful for me. Yeah. That's, that's big. We should put a link to uh, that product in the show notes. Remarkable. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do want to preface it by saying, look, it's a it's a few hundred dollars. However, when I think about in the last two weeks, because it has a 30 day trial and it's a great return policy, very easy. They don't need an explanation. So I was like, OK, I'm willing to do this. And if I don't pick up a notebook for like at least a week, then it's worth it. And I didn't. 
and I'm loving, loving every minute of it. So I will definitely put it on, but yeah, it's called the remarkable. I think that they, like, I've been looking at ads on it on Facebook and Instagram probably for the last three years. So it's like, okay, fine. Yeah. I'll try it. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> it was worth it. So there you go. In terms of, cause I think we can talk about technology in this department for a long time. Where does ableism come into play with like tech devices for us? I think I have my own internal issues with that. Like, do I really need this? Should I be spending this money? I'm like, I'm on disability. I had to like leave my company that I started, my business that I started. And so I went from like, earning about as much, if not more than my husband to being on a disability check. So trying to convince myself that I actually need this thing that I'm spending money from the family on is a real internal struggle. I go through a lot. Like, do I, like, do I deserve this is like a real big issue for me. Like, do I deserve this new wheelchair was like the argument I had with myself. No one else was having this argument. It was me and myself. Like I could just totally get by with my, my push wheelchair, right? Like we spent money on that. It's really expensive. Like, why would I buy this other wheelchair, you know, so it's more comfortable so I can actually do more with it. So I don't dislocate as much with it. It's still a lot of money. And should I be doing, should I be buying this tech? Like I just got a new computer. Should I be spending that money from like, doing that well yes because like working on these small things I can't get a lot done so it's it's always this like discussion in my head of if I'm worth getting the tech I mean even think about what you raved about on our gifts episode was the VR headset right like so you can (laughs) can say for your for your physical well-being maybe that's not necessary right it's like oh that's a pleasure thing however for your mental health and just general well-being, I like correct me if I'm wrong. I know that you hate the fact that traveling is so difficult for you. Like yeah. you traveling. And this is a way to bring you the joy of traveling in a way that you can handle. So I would say, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it is more so for you or some than others, but that was like a huge mental health support product. Oh, and physical health. Like I the like physical games you can play, the like. I'm so freaking addicted to it. It's not like, do I have to go do my physical therapy? It's like, you can't stop me. Like it's now my stress relief. Like I was on that thing for two hours yesterday because I had such a screwed up day. Things were so bad yesterday that I just spent like two hours just playing these stupid physical games where I got to punch things that came at me and it was like stress relief. So like after I talked to my sister, it was like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm actually better. She went and bought her headset because she hates like doing exercise on the bike. She's like, I feel like a freaking hamster. I can't stand this anymore. And she's like, this is fun. Like, I swear to you, this is fun. Like you can't not do it. So there's that. But I also have the mom issue of like, I had to have a problem buying this because I knew how much my kids would love it. And I knew how much it would add to their quarantine. <laughs> like, so that was easier because it wasn't just about me. It was like, oh, this is a family thing. My husband will exercise and I don't have to keep reminding him to exercise. Like, and there's a game called Pistol Whip, which is basically you get to be John Wick. And like everyone else, I can't do this game because I can't lunge and I can't drop to like, you, you have to be able to like drop to your knees and then jump back up to like get all the bad guys everywhere. So everyone else does this game I don't but like it was a family thing so that was easier for me to like justify but if it's just saying that just I'm using it it gets really crunchy for me sounds like it added you know really added to your quality of life and I mean everybody in the family so (laughs) I'm so in love with this thing and like for future travel I can they have like all these travel tour people who will walk around and show what their tour is like so I can watch those and go that's not a city I can visit we can just mark that city off like there's no way I could ever do that and then there's other places where I'm like oh that that's actually gonna be fine cool I know exactly which routes to take so it, it helps with like future planning too I'm actually in the midst of dealing with that right now with my family so Again, COVID pending and like everything working out in a few months from now, I'm supposed to be going on this big, this big trip that I've been planning kind of my whole life. 
And, and halfway through this trip, and I mean like a world trip and popping around to different countries, again, hopefully we'll see, we don't know. In the middle of this trip, I'm going to Italy and my family, like my parents and my sister and her boyfriend are joining us. And I'm so excited, like I'm beyond thrilled for this to happen for the first time, but we are meeting in Positano or like the Amalfi Coast. Oh yeah. Which is all hill mountain. We're also meeting in August. <laughs> uh, it's going to be incredibly hot. Now I was going to do this anyway, to some extent, right? Like with my husband, we're doing this trip, but now we're going to be specifically in Positano Amalfi Coast for a week in a place that's on top of a mountain. I mean, it's going to be stunning. Like I, I hate, by the way, to be complaining about this in any capacity, but I know that while it is beautiful and I will have a fantastic time, it is going to be very difficult for me physically. I, I figure, I don't know how this sounds, I'm just going to suck it up or do what I can do, not do what I can't do. What I do love, though, is that my family recognized that before I said anything. Mm. And this might have been the first time that was ever the case. They, I said it was okay to go to Positano because I was like, I'm going to go there anyway. I... If I'm, it's just me and my husband, I don't have to worry about everyone else. So that would have been easier. But so like, yeah, we're fine with it. We're, we're keeping it because I don't technically know whatever, but the fact that my parents and my sister and my husband were all like, is that a good idea for Eva? Can we like rent this certain house that would make it easier for her? Basically, is it accessible for me? Oh, and think about it. They actually kind of did that. They were like, can we not leave the grounds without going up multiple stairs? Right. Something like that. So they did think about me, the heat can't do anything about, it. I decided to do this big trip during the freaking summer. I'm going to Thailand and India too. So I don't know how that's going to work out. <laughs> Bring noon. <laughs> I do not, I do not know, but I will say that I will be pushing boundaries quite a bit with me this summer. I'm, this is not me advising anyone else to do that. This is something I personally want to do for many, many reasons. One of them being before my EDS does get worse. But anyway, going back to like my family and there being a, a shift in the, in the perception of ableism or, or lack, sort of lack thereof, they considered me. And mm. that's huge, huge. It might be because I got the official diagnosis of EDS this past August. And I think that changed their perception of the situation a bit. And you bring up a really interesting point about not being diagnosed, not actually having a name and how that, like that internal and external ableism, when you don't have an actual, like you're not less sick before then. Yeah, exactly. I always feel bad about sort of throwing my dad under the bus here. But when I told him I had EDS, I was crying. I mean, I talked to you, Monica, first. You were the first person I told, right? Or maybe you don't know that. You're the first person I told. <laughs> not really even sweet. Yeah. <laughs> But I got home, I happened to be seeing my parents later that night. I broke down crying. I told my dad, uh, my dad, who's always done some very light gaslighting, I'd say, you know, mm. not hardcore, but a little bit like, no, you're fine. Or you're a hypochondriac or God, some stuff like that. But he, and I, and I said in like as nice a way as I could to him that, Hey, you never really believed me. And he was like, no, of course course I've always believed you and I've always understood mm. you're in pain I'm like have you and both my husband mm. and my mom backed me up and they're like yeah not really <laughs> not I've really. always been so scared of doing that to my kids like that's been like one of my big fears as a parent is as my dad had really big heart issues and had had heart surgeries and had been in a really god-awful car accident where he had metal in his legs and it was always like oh you think you're in pain oh you think you're and he didn't mean it like that like he wanted me to be tough and like he didn't but and there wasn't a name for what I had so it was like oh you're the daily injury report from Monica or you know what's wrong with your 16 why can't you walk like what's you know and so I was so scared of like my kids feeling like I was sicker than them so their pain wouldn't matter <laughs> like I just want, yeah. What about you, Jason? Like, I know that there's been some of that in your family for sure. Yeah, gaslighting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Well, I would say, so, I mean, yeah, there's definitely some with my mom and dad, more from my dad and his side of the family. They were very much of tough love, like learn how to deal with it. You know, you just need to push through the pain, like learn how to deal with it. Everybody's got pain. There was a whole lot of that. There was that, yeah, my grandparents as well. There was, oh yeah, I, I heard a, a whole bunch, especially when I stopped working. That's when it really was layered on me. It was, you know, did you not like your job? Which I actually loved my job. I thought it, it was it was amazing. And, you know, the fact that I was getting paid to do it was, you know, was was so great to do what I really love. And yeah, so giving up that and then being kind of disbelieved and meanwhile, trying to grappling with this new reality, like not, I might not ever be an engineer. And then on, on top of that, or I might not be an engineer, I might lose all this quality of life. And then on top of that, you know, you're being piled on of being disbelieved. Now, my grim, my parents, once I got really, really sick, there was no denying it whatsoever. And so that in many ways made that easier for me as well, just because I don't have to prove anything. I was, you know, mostly on bed rest for quite a while. And then, yeah, with my, with my grandparents, I actually, uh, I haven't aired this audio yet anywhere and I, it's going to be used in another project I'm working on, but I actually went to interview my grandma about the period when she was disbelieving me. And uh, yeah, kind of as, as you said, Eva, there is a dismissal of it. There was, no, I didn't. We didn't like, no, we believed you all along, or we just thought you, you hurt your back from working out too hard. And so, yeah, there's the gaslighting inside of the gaslighting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There is a dismissal of it. There's, I didn't. Are you? There we go. (laughs) Were you hearing all that? That was weird. Yeah. (laughs) Did you guys experience like ableism at work or at school? At, at work, so that was that was for me. It was more of internalized ableism. I was so scared of telling my boss that I was chronically ill that I just didn't for a while, and I gritted my teeth. And I like as I was getting sicker and sicker, I was becoming less productive for the time that I was there. So I actually started going in seven days a week just so that I could stay on top of my work. And I was so incredibly scared of telling anybody there that I was chronically ill because I, yeah, there's that inferiority where I just felt like, oh, I'm an inferior, like they're going to fire me if if they find out that I'm sick. And meanwhile, my, my employer never gave me any hint that that would be the case, nor, nor, nor did he he send off any of those vibes. And when I finally did uh, go in and, and tell him like, this is what's going on in my body, he, he was kind of like, yeah, I could kind of see you, you seem, you know, I could tell that you were a little bit tense, but he was incredibly supportive. And he said, like, if you need to take time off to focus on your health, go right ahead. If you ever want to come back part-time, you're totally welcome to like, whatever we can do to support you through this, let me know. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. That's wonderful. Have you stayed in touch with that? Yeah, place? I have. I we haven't met up for a couple of years now, but yeah, we we would always grab coffee every every now and then, and yeah, catch up. He was he was wonderful. I kind of wish that that wasn't rare. Yeah, like the fact that I just said, "Oh, that's so nice." Like, what? Well, I mean, it is nice, but I said it in that like, "Wow, that doesn't happen very often," <laughs> kind of way. <laughs> Being accommodated, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys think that's changed? in recent times? I mean, so, so I can speak from a recent example, but you know, I'm talking to a media company about doing some work for them and like, yeah, I would just tell them these are my accessibility needs and they were pretty understanding of it. I I actually had somebody ask me like, before we went into a video call together, like one of a mentor of mine, before I had even met her, she emailed me and said like, oh, do you have any accessibility needs that I should be aware of? Which it's so incredibly nice to be asked that because like, yeah, you know, brain fog can be horrendous some days. So, so yeah, for, for me, I mean, I had never even heard of the words accessibility needs five years ago. 
Yeah. At schools, I would say absolutely not. Just from like, I have kids at high school. I've had kids through elementary and middle school. And here in California, thanks to Arnold Schwarzenegger, who decided that physical fitness was the most important thing that kids can learn in school. It is an absolute freaking requirement. And if your child is not able to do physical fitness, they get put in a special class where they basically just kind of roll ball back and forth was our experience at our school. So I don't know about anyone else in California, but that was what we were dealing with. And there are plenty of kids who can talk to that their asthma medication gets put in the principal's office and they have to go see the school nurse when they need it. And that's up to the teacher on if the teacher will allow a child to go. So every year you will hear about a kid dying because their medication was not available, or you will hear about substitute teacher who decides that someone's insulin pump is a, you know, phone or a tech device. And there was a case where they actually removed the insulin pump from the child, or you will hear about, like, there's just a thing that went viral at a college through a Zoom meeting was that a student is profoundly deaf and they were waiting for the translation and the teacher went off on the kid for not paying attention there's just case after case at in schools where and in colleges where access is not not even close to what it needs to be I remember being tortured by my PE teachers because we didn't have a name for what was wrong and I couldn't run and it was like obviously you're faking it or obviously you just don't want to do the thing and um the amount of humiliation that I think a lot of kids go through is pretty intense and there are IEP plans, but it's pretty much up to the teacher on whether that actually gets honored or not. IEP? There's IEP plans and there's, oh God, something else. I can't remember what it's called, but my kid had all of it. And yeah, it's like, okay, so your kid is, has ADD so they can draw while they're listening as long as they're not a problem and it was really up to the teacher on how much that actually ended up getting followed or if they just really humiliated my child in front of an entire class of people like it was it was pretty like it's yeah we had a lot of problems especially at the junior high and high school level because there's not a lot of you know teachers get to kind of do whatever they want in their classroom and there's not a lot of things you can do about that so I definitely had problems myself in college and high school. And I've definitely watched my nieces and nephews and, you know, like all my, my second cousins and my own children go through a lot of stuff. So I think there's a lot that needs to happen in schools. And we've also interviewed teachers and professors here on this podcast who have talked about their experiences as teachers and how the campus is not set up for wheelchairs or, or canes. And like here in the United States where we have all of our our ability to have health insurance is tied to working full-time teachers get really messed up in that where you will see, you know, the feel good news story where all the teachers get together and donate their sick days and their vacation days to a teacher who is going through chemotherapy because there's not enough sick days to keep that person employed. So they don't lose their health insurance. So they will go through chemotherapy and then come back to school and teach because they can't lose their, their health insurance. And, and yet donating that's like donating sick days that's really cool but it's really freaking depressing <laughs> yeah, yeah the, it's it's really great that we have good people but it's a real big problem when people are more empathetic than the system yeah 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 i mean like the the focus of that story often gets spun in wow this was such a an incredibly compassionate act which yes it is but yeah mm-hmm. the, the the real story is there is how fucked up the system is yeah and that the system is so set around especially here in the u.s the system is so ableist that our lives literally do not have purpose or meaning unless we can work full-time we do not have the right to live and have health insurance unless we're able to contribute full-time to a company yeah and that's got to be the most ableist system i've ever heard of like i i almost like fell over when i was watching the Great British Bake Off. And there's a woman who was on there who's like, I volunteer at a at a center. And that's my job. I volunteer. And I was like, wait a minute, but you have like, you know, and they her husband had like a nice job. You know, like I think he's an accountant or something. But it was so mind-blowing to me that not having two incomes, they could have a life 
and her life has like this is a purpose it's awesome she works in her garden she helps people out and that that is considered still able to have health insurance and medication and (laughs) that that like it was just so mind-blowing to me that there's places you could live where your worth is not tied up in your ability to work full-time you still have the right to medication in a life it's it's a very basic need and yeah yeah sorry brain fog i'm <laughs> no worries I, i'm right there with you I'm, I'm like wait was that ableist yes yes the, the system here is ableist oh, I've got category. <laughs> i mean jason is that's not the case in canada like i mean so here you know we've got uh universal health care which is is really great now disability support is another thing we're getting just over eleven hundred dollars a month you know, from, from the government to support everything, try living, oh try, try finding anywhere in Toronto that any place that you can rent for 1100, you know, most places, if you're renting a single, it's got to be, you know, 14, 1500 at the very, very least. And then, you know, they claim to have subsidized housing. Well, yeah. The one thing about that is that you have to wait 20 years. I I've applied uh, to be on the list and I'm not going to get that for the next 20 years. Like that's, that's often how long people end up waiting. And then even when they do get that, they often, the place is supposed to be accessible, but it's often not like I've, I've spoken to people who haven't even been able to shower in their own place that they got. So they had to, they got PSWs and attendants to come and give them baths in their bed where, you know, they're, they're sponged down and not able to actually get. Yeah have like their basic hygiene needs even be met. So yeah, I mean, like even earlier in the pandemic, the the Canadian government, or I can't remember, I think it was all of Canadian government, but they, they announced something like everybody who was laid off during the pandemic was suddenly getting $2,000 a month. And I think rightfully so, everybody in the disability community is saying, I'm not physically well enough to work or there are external barriers that prevent me from being able to work and because of that we are getting $900 less per month than other people simply because we're not able to so yeah there, there was a lot of outrage about that and justifiably so see no system's perfect yeah, I know, but I'm just thinking like we fought so hard and we've gotten, I think in the United States, a total of $2,000 for the entire pandemic. Yeah. Like we just got $1,400 one time and that was it. And like, oh my God, like I mean, that, what your experience is not okay at all. I'm just like in shock that that's a thing. <laughs> and being on disability, like we have such stringent rules that force us into poverty. If I wasn't married, I would be homeless because you're right. Like what you guys, like a thousand dollars, there's no way you could even get a room. But here in the United States, if you're on disability, like you have to like stay at like below poverty level. And if you at all poke your head up, they like completely take everything away. Yeah. And if like, if you're on even a more extreme social security, which I'm not, I'm on disability, but if you're on a different one, you can't get married. You cannot have more than $2,000 of any asset. Like it is absolute enforced poverty and it is shocking. And they just, Trump tried to get a thing through that we would lose our Medicaid if we didn't work. And it's like the whole reason we're on that is that we can't work. Like it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally hear you, what you're, what you guys yeah, are saying yeah. there is not acceptable, but it's just so much, it shows how much further unacceptable it is here. Like, like, so Toronto, how far is that? What's the weather like? What's, what's immigration like over there? I think we're still below zero here. So yeah, <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> that, that $2,000 like that, that is how much you're allowed in your, in your bank account. That's, that's... no, not bank account assets. Oh, assets. Oh, car. like, I think you are allowed to have a car and that doesn't count. I'm, I'm not a part of that program, but I, I know a lot of people who are, and you cannot, like, if you get married, it can kick you off of it. Like, it's insane how strict the rules are and like owning a house becomes a problem. Um, like, yeah, your assets cannot total above that. 
And if you try to like educate yourself out, like I wanted to switch career paths, but I can't because if I went to school, I would lose my disability. So I can't even like switch career paths by educating myself to a job that I could do as sick as I am, because then I, I would get kicked off of that. What do you guys think about, so this is something I was also talking about earlier, fairness versus equitability when it comes to financial support, like during the pandemic. So for instance, there is this, I'm, I'm not good at telling stories, so bear with me, but there is this <laughs> idea of like, let's say you have three young boys, one's like really short, one's kind of a medium height and one's tall, and they all want to look over this fence should the parents give them like in a fair way, they all get the same stool, the same size stool, let's say like a two foot stool, but, or the equitable way of going about it would be that they all get a stool of a certain height that would bring them to the same level so that they could all see over the fence. So you see where I'm going with this. I like the analogy. Yeah, I thought it was a cute one. It's not mine. What do you think, Monica? I, <laughs> I think we get, like, I get, and it's super important to always think, like, fairness is way more important than equality. Like, giving everyone the same thing, despite anything, doesn't make sense. Like, you have to really, like, tailor things. But I've heard this slapped us across the face here in the U.S., where it was like, well, we don't want to give this $1,400 to people who might not need it. And it's like, well, we just did a trillion dollar tax cut to the 1% without worrying if they needed it. So like, I, I think like in situations where you're giving things, hell, go over the top to make sure that the populace gets what they need. So if it's like, hey, maybe we should do a tax cut to mobility aids for all disability people. Well, let's not worry about if, you know, that person makes $70,000 or makes this little amount, just make sure they can get the mobility aid they need. Like, let's not worry so much about like where people like give more instead of less. We've done a lot here in the U.S. of giving a lot to people who might not need it. So let's just not worry about and help the populace instead of like, you know, yeah, sorry. That was, let's, let's let be, I, yeah, I, I think what I'm gathering part of from what you're saying and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's also like lift people up to an acceptable level of yeah like you know so many people are living below the poverty line and below they're they're not getting their basic um needs met and yeah yeah Yeah. and we're like like the absolute minimum like making sure yeah that ever like if whatever we give that the absolute those in poverty are fine right yeah what is the least or the the least we can not the least we can do where am i going with this like what is what do we i don't (laughs) i have like a visual in my head it's like everyone above the water if that makes sense like pull everyone up i'm thinking of people drown i don't know where this is i'm thinking (laughs) of titanic and like a net picking all of us up from the bottom and making sure that the people at the bottom of this net are, are at the very least above water. I mean, I think if we just like, think about like, what's our goal? Like, is our goal that, you know, people have a life of purpose, right? Like that should be the goal is that like, you can live a life of purpose. Well, what does that look like? And what are the barriers to living a life of purpose? Like if you are someone who's like, you know what, being a lawyer would be interesting. I'd like to give that a shot. Well, the in for that should not be so prohibitively expensive that you have to be at this really high income bracket to even consider it, or that you will have to go into thousands of dollars, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. My, my sister had to go close to a hundred thousand dollars into debt just to see if you, that would work for you. If that's something you would want to try, like these, you know, these incredible barriers we have towards education, towards the physicality of going out, like, what we're dealing with now where we actually, you know, is all fairness was we were never allowed to like telemedicine. We weren't allowed to tell it work, tell us, you know, go to school. And they're like, no, no, that's impossible. And then they're like, Hey, yeah, we can totally cool. <laughs> and 
since it wasn't ableism, since it wasn't like to help out the disabled people is to help out everyone. <laughs> and now it's a question of, hey, can we, can we actually like just do this? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess now wrapping up, do we have, I'm having incredible brain fog. Do we have any last thoughts for the episode? Anything that anybody here wanted to, to add? Mm. Well, there's like a million things I could talk about still on this topic. And I think we're going to do a part two with Dr. Lee, which is great. Yep. Well, let's see any, any closing remarks on ableism. I personally always like to end things on a positive note. So we got a, any mm -hmm. positive improvements effort. I know Monica loves when I bring this up. <laughs> Sweet. I I have advice, which is that okay, yes. taking care of yourself is not losing ground. So you are not losing ground if you decide you need a wheelchair. That is not a step back. You're not losing your your power, your your thoughts. Like it's not you're not taking a step back by using a wheelchair for your physical comfort. That was something I wish someone had told me a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, something I'd like to add to that and something I, I think we can talk about more in the part two of this episode is how battling ableism starts first with how you perceive things yourself. So there's a lot that you can do internally that will just help you battle that in the real world. I say the real world, the world, <laughs> the world outside of your brain. And yeah, for, for me, I guess I'll end on a note on, we, we touched on gaslighting there for a little bit and it's, it's really tough when you go through that, you know, family, especially and personal relationships. One second here, <laughs> I'm getting just hit with a giant wave of brain fog here. Yeah. I, I think with gaslighting, you know, there, there are certain times when it can be really intense from people in your life. And at times you just need to give yourself some distance from that person. Or if the, if it's, you know, not a family member and it's not a relationship that is incredibly imperative to you, then, you know, there are times when it's maybe the right decision to cut people out of your life. But I, but I think with gaslighting and disbelieving and just miss people not fully understanding invisible illness. It's often people who are incredibly well-intentioned and people who are not inherently bad people who make those types of mistakes of, you know, stigmatizing invisible illness. And yeah, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of, of how to close out this thought, but giving yeah, I'm, I'm kind of having a brain fog moment here. So yeah, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to end that thought. <laughs> I think that's really good. And yeah, mm -hmm. we've all talked about loved ones in our life that have in a way gaslighted us or, or, or like brought ableism into the, the picture. And it doesn't mean that there's ill intent. And if anything, usually means that they're trying to do something positive. They're just doing it the wrong way. And I, I mean, look, even your dad, right? You said Monica with your dad, like, how I mean, I just want to be really careful with this because we're lucky. We do have the people in our lives who do genuinely love mm. us, but there are a lot of people who are listening to this, who do not have the loving people in their lives who are gaslighting them being bad. And like, I want people to be like really careful at like their mental mm. health and creating their boundaries in their space. Like we're lucky that we have the people who are anyone who gaslit us probably hopefully loved us very much and was trying to do their best but I, I think that we're lucky that there's there's probably a lot of people who don't have that that honest truth and that experience that's yeah. that's very very true yeah privilege in in that regards come comes is is really really huge myself I'm incredibly lucky there yeah in my in my own experience there's only been a couple people who have really you know been skeptical or disbelieved me and even those people came around so that, yeah, certainly important to recognize that. Indeed. All right. Yeah. Well, until next time, ableism part two, that should be like a movie name. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, uh, don't know, don't know. <laughs>
Maybe not. Maybe not. All right. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to another roundtable episode of Invisible Not Broken, part of the Invisible Not Broken podcast network. If you haven't already, please take the next 30 seconds to do these three things. Subscribe to all of our shows, leave feedback with a review, and share this episode with a loved one. Don't forget to check out our official Invisible Not Broken Network Facebook group. Please join us in our community conversations where you can ask questions, connect with fellow Invisible Illness peers, and make suggestions for the podcast. That's all for today. Take care and remember to be kind, be gentle, and in whatever way you can, be a badass.